Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. presence of the Lord came in during the offering. I was like, okay, getting emotional. All right, well, I have 30 minutes for a 60-minute sermon. Pray for me. We'll we'll get there. Let's just, Holy Spirit, we, we still feel your presence here. And I would say this, I know Sal was mentioning before, for those of us who have never maybe felt the presence of the Lord, and sometimes we think it's going to be like you touch the chair, you feel this jacket on you, and sometimes it is like that, because his presence is very measurable. You know, when someone you don't like walks into a room, you know that they're there. How much more should we be aware of the one we serve when he walks in the room? And so it's like... People tell me, oh, I I just don't have the ability. I'm like, yeah, but you knew when that person came in and you're like, yeah, we got to leave the restaurant. So obviously you have this natural ability to be aware of someone that came in that wasn't here previously, but now has caught your attention. And we more easily will step into that when we're uncomfortable in natural things. How much more should we be removed from our comfort zone when the king comes in the room. And when Jesus comes in a room, he's not just content to go into the back corner and hang out. He wants to be the center. And so what we've been doing all day today, obviously we've been just doing things very different. You know, worship went, I said to the worship, thank you. <laughs> we stressed you guys and getting up to speak almost at 1230 because he came in, we needed to move. And we need to do what he wanted to do. And even in this moment, you can still feel the presence of the Lord. Um, and for me, that's a good thing. Because there was a day we would, we would measure our meetings, the success of a meeting, on whether or not God showed up. You know, a lot of the church, it's, well, how many people showed up? Or how much came in on the offering? Or, well, did people stand up? Did they come to the forward? Like, there's, and it's, there's, those are all fine and they're practical things and they're, they're certain measurables just for church growth. But the supreme should be, did God come? Was he pleased? Did I sing a song that just moved my heart or did I sing a song that moved the heart of God? Because if we do things that move his heart, then men's heart will be moved. And sometimes we come into a meeting because we're looking for something. And that is okay. Meaning something from God. But I've learned that if I come in looking for him and not asking him for anything but him, he will add not just the thing I was looking for, but even more. And sometimes we're looking specifically for something 
Maybe it's financial breakthrough. Maybe it's relationship, whatever it is that we're asking God for. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to take care of that, but it's just not what I want to do right now. And many times we'll come into a meeting saying, God, I want this. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to take care of that, but just ask me for me because I want to give you this. And you don't even know you need this today. So, Holy Spirit, we, we say increase. Increase your presence even as we speak this word this morning. Increase your presence upon our lives, upon our hearts. As Moses said, Lord, we don't want to go up from this place unless your presence goes with us. For if you don't go with us, how will they know we are any different than them? meaning we'd look like the world. But when you go with us, we look like you. And then we become the answer to what the world needs. Not that they need us, but they need the one who's in us. And Lord, we thank you for the privilege of hosting your presence. Thank you, Lord. You know, I actually liked that worship went longer. I mean, I like longer worship anyway. But I like that worship went longer just because I got to watch people who maybe were expecting worship to end at 11.30. And then it went to 11.30 and then 11.35 and then 11.40. And then it's just like, oh, oh my gosh, this is not what I expected. And it's like, what, what, what do we do? What's our response when we come in with a certain expectation and then... It's something different. And it gives us an opportunity to stretch ourselves out of our comfort zone so that we can respond even past what we're used to responding. So today, um, I felt like we all got taken to the school of the Holy Spirit. And we did. Because as, as a church, I feel like God wants to bring us somewhere. And I don't necessarily know exactly where he's bringing us, but if he's bringing us to somewhere new, then I may not know where we're going, but I know where we can't stay. And in order for God to do a new thing, we have to step out of the place where we are. And if we continue to stay in the rhythm and the routine of what we're doing, which that's fine, we get to lean on the routine as long as we're also leaning on him. We get to lean on it when we don't know what else to do. We can lean on a model. And we can lean on a structure. That's why we'll start at 11 and we'll end around 1. And worship will go from 11 to 11.30 or 11.45. And then we'll do announcements. And then we'll do offering. But, and, and that's good because it gives us structure so that there could be order in the house so that we can go somewhere as one. It's not just structure for the sake of structure so we can get you out at 1 because we all got somewhere to be. It's structure for the sake of unity. And then when we're one, then we have the Psalms 133, then there's a commanded blessing. And then the oil of the Lord can drip down from the top all the way to the bottom. And you're making room for him. But then there's times where he comes and he interrupts your order. And this is a service, but he does this in your life. Hey, God. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Good morning, 
do whatever you want to do today. Love you, Lord. And then we get up and we go about our day and we hopefully brush our teeth and take a shower, get dressed. And then we go however means of transportation that we're going. And we don't actually think about the prayer we pray, do what you want to do today, because we, we step right into routine. We step right into doing what we normally do instead of responding or walking with every step we take with the Lord in mind. If you didn't um, listen, or if you weren't here last week with, with Chris Valentin, uh, go back and listen to the five o'clock service. Um, if you were here, you might want to re-listen to it because it, it challenged me. It challenged me. It's like we, we're living supernatural lives but we're doing it without the supernatural ability to hear. And we're looking for answers to things or doing everyday life and saying like, God, why am I not getting breakthrough? I'm doing all that you called me to do. And it's like, yeah, but you're not inviting me into every day and every moment. And we have solutions or issues or things we're trying to solve. And we wait until the crisis comes before we ask God for divine intervention. And what if we started in that place so that when crisis comes, then we don't need to stop to pray. We already have the answer. Yeah. It's the story when Jesus was, had the disciples, they were trying to cast out a demon. This kid was throwing himself in the fire and, and like, you know, the disciples can't get rid of this, Jesus. We need your help and praise for him. And the disciples said, how'd you do that? He said, well, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. But if you notice, Jesus didn't pray and fast before he cast the demon out. <laughs> Meaning he had lived a lifestyle of preparedness so that when he was met with the crisis, he knew how to respond and had the answer because he asked for the answer before he had the problem. What it, would it look like to live our life in such a way that we're spending time in our word and with the Lord, opening up our hearts for the logos, the written word, but for also the rhema, the spoken word of God in our everyday life so that when we're met in a situation that breaks us out of the order of our life, we can respond and respond rightly. Anyway, we're not speaking on that today. <laughs> I'm continuing on the apostolic church. Uh, I want to talk on two things. I want to talk about the Great Commission and I want to talk about the prophetic and what that has to do with the apostolic church. This is going to be a five-part series. This is number four. Thank you for sticking this out with me. Um, but I really feel like the Lord wants to equip us in this. Um, for those of you who maybe this is your first time hearing this part of the series, I'll just quickly define apostle. Apostle means sent one. Uh, in very simple terms, Jesus was the first sent one. It says, as the Father has sent me, so then I sent you, identifying himself as the chief apostle. And then could have gathered 12 prophets that would have made sense to them because they had the Torah, they had the Old Testament. He could have uh, gathered 12 Levites. He could have gathered 12 priests. But no, he gathered 12 and he called them apostles. And they would be familiar with that because of the culture that they lived in. They were in Roman culture, but the Romans borrowed it from the Greeks, uh, in which an apostle would be a fleet of ships that would go out ahead of the king and his kingdom to conquer a land, and not just conquer a land, but establish the culture of 
their king's kingdom in the land that they conquer. They wouldn't kill the people. Actually, they would just go and renew their mind to change the way that they think and change the way that they do culture so that when their king would come or their Caesar would come to the town in which they came and conquered, he would feel at home. And so Jesus creates this term in the kingdom and he names them 12, the 12 of them as apostles because he was establishing something for his kingdom so that when he sent them out, that they would go, it's really, we're gonna talk about it today, but they would go and subdue the earth, conquer the kingdom of darkness, establish the kingdom of God and shift the culture so that when the father comes, he would feel at home. And so this is what we've been exploring. And this is connected to the Great Commission as well. We are called as an apostolic people to disciple nations. And to be an apostolic church, we must equip people to advance the Great Commission. And that includes discipling nations. Uh, and I don't know if, about you, but um, I had to realize, oh God, you're actually serious about that. Like the discipling nations thing, it's not just a phrase. Like this is, this is something that's a reality that we are called to. So that means we have to understand what it is. Because if we just have these concepts that are elusive and just hanging out in front of us that are direct commandments from the Lord for the church and we don't seek to understand, then we'll, we'll never actually see that fulfilled. And so to advance the Great Commission and in turn the kingdom of God, uh, one of the things that we need is the fivefold ministry. We need the apostolic, we need the prophetic, we need the teachers, we need the evangelist. Anyone know the fifth? Pastors. All right, two people. You guys okay? You still drunk in the presence? That's fine. All right, turn with me to Ephesians 4. Verse 13. Actually, let's start at verse 11. When you're there, say I'm there. All right. Wait a little bit. All right. Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Very poetic, like that. <laughs> to and fro, no longer carry to and fro by the trickery of men, cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. I couldn't have wrote that better, so it's very good. So the fivefold is given, and here's what happens. We're not tossed around to and fro, so what does that mean? When the fivefold is established, the church is built on a solid foundation. Our roots grow deep. When people come and they speak a word of trickery, we are not easily tossed to and fro. 
Why? Because the answer or the thing it produces is a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. No longer children. So if we're no longer children, that means we're mature sons and daughters. So what it produces is maturity. It produces a perfect man and a perfect man that goes into the fullness of Christ. Matthew 5, 48. Turn with there with me. Turn there with me. Matthew 5, 48. Oh, good, it's up there too. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Have you ever read this verse? That's intense. Um, have, we, have we entered into perfection yet? No. No, we're not there yet. But on one hand, we are perfect. And it's in the reality that we are made perfect because of God's righteousness. We're gonna, I'm going to show you what this looks like. So it's, we are the righteousness of God. How? In Christ. Now we know there is still the need for the perfecting of the saints, which is what Ephesians 4 was talking about. But we also need to understand this reality that the perfecting of the saints or our maturation, our maturing is so that we can become Christ-like. I'm going somewhere, I promise. Turn with me, 2 Corinthians 3.18. Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Okay. So we got these three verses. Without the fivefold ministry being established in the church, we cannot become one perfect man of unity and complete maturity, right? In other words, God wants us to be like Jesus on the earth, right? Because we saw the other verse, be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. So we know the Father is perfect. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We know that Jesus has known no sin. So Jesus was perfect. Then by implication, we know the Holy Spirit is perfect. The entire Trinity is perfect. And then he's saying, be perfect as we are perfect. We know that is impossible without God. So the invitation to perfection and maturity to enter into the fullness of God can only be each achieved with dependence upon God. So the only way to enter into this is with God, okay? Another verse, 1 John 4, 17. You're gonna get a lot of, of Bible today. 1 John four seventeen. It says, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, 
so are we in this world. Is he perfect? As he is, so are we in this world. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that this means we will never sin. But it does mean we don't have to. I'm not saying that we're going to go a lifestyle of living perfect. But you can go a day without sinning. You could actually go two days. You actually have the ability to go a week. The secret actually is you have the ability to go a lifestyle without sinning. But we have not yet matured to the fullness of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You have the ability to live right because he lives inside of you. And not just that. Guys, the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm lingering long in this, well, let me take a step back. Fivefold, right? This needs to be established. It's going to be established by men. And when I say men, I also mean women, all right? It's going to be established by people. But Jesus is the chief apostle. Jesus is the great prophet. Not like the Muslims say, but he is the great prophet. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the rabbi, the teacher. Jesus is the evangelist of the world. He is the first fruits of all these things, right? So he established it. And this is why I spent two sessions on the character of apostolic people from the beginning, because we, we can be a great preacher and we can lead a great movement and we can do great signs and wonders, but without great character, it then discredits everything that we do. Okay? But we need the fivefold ministry to keep us from deviating from the standard of God's word. And one of the things that it does that, that I'm trying to do today is challenge us that we can enter into these things in him. Acts 2.42. Acts 2.42 says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread, amen, and in prayers. There's no amen, I just said amen for bread. Semolina, sliced. <laughs> anyway. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Apostolic teaching must instruct people on correct doctrine so that we not only disciple nations, but disciple nations with God's word. In Ephesians 1, really all throughout Ephesians, he opens up the book with a couple different things, but one of the things that Paul says is to the saints. He says to the saints. He didn't say to the Ephesians. He said to the saints. And the word saints means the ones who have been made holy. Ones who have been made right. And if you look through Ephesians, the whole book, but even just in Ephesians 1, over and over again, 
you see this phrase some way or another where it says, in Christ, in him, in Christ. And there's this reality. It says, to, to the saints, the devoted or the faithful in Christ. And so there's this reality that we have been made holy. And I think in church, we've grown up trying to attain holiness, trying to, well, I, I'll be made holy if I don't do this, or I'll, I'll, I'll be righteous if I don't do this. And how many know righteousness and holiness has nothing to do with what you're not doing? And it has everything to do with who you are and who you've been made to be. And if you're trying to get free from stuff so that you can be holy, you're probably going to keep going through that stuff. Because trying to be free doesn't make you holy. Trying to live right doesn't make you righteous. There's only one way to be made righteous, and there's only one way to be made holy, and that's through him. He makes you holy. So then how do you get there? It says to the devoted. If you devote yourself to him, and isn't this so backwards from how we were raised? We, we were raised, don't sin, don't do this, don't do that. Live right so that God can use you, right? Don't look at that stuff so that God can use you. Don't slander so that God can use you. And we shouldn't be doing those things. But how many understand if you're just avoiding something, you'll never become something? And so there's this invitation of devotion to be devoted to the Lord. And there's this reality that established right in Ephesians 1 that if we devote ourselves and we are faithful to Christ, he will make us holy. Amen. And he puts us in Christ. Why does he put us in Christ? So that when the father looks at us, he has to look through the lens of his son. Yes, Do you know what that means? That means you're not sinners. You were. Amen. We don't want to be ignorant of that. You were. But now when he looks at you, if he's looking through the lens of his son, does he see sin? Then why do we see ourselves that way? Get back to the point, discipling nations. The, the, whole, the, the reason why I'm saying this, because nations aren't systems, they're people. He didn't say go disciple countries. In fact, that word nations, it's ethnos. It's people, people groups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Groups of people. So then the next time you hear us say, oh, go disciple nations, it doesn't have to be this lofty big thing like, well, I'm going to pick what, Australia? <laughs> That's for Janelle. <laughs> no, it's just a group of people. Yeah. If you can target a group of people with love, with the truth of the gospel, with the power of the gospel of the kingdom, you're in effect with all of us discipling nations by simply discipling people. Amen. But many of us aren't discipling anyone. And that's okay, no shame. It's just, we just don't do it. But this is part of our call. As an apostolic people, we disciple nations. But for you and me, what that practically looks like is three, four, five, maybe 10 people that we're pouring into on a consistent basis. Amen. 
And that's how we disciple nations. But that's a call. That's a mandate. All right, we got to move on. That's just point one. Point two, an apostolic people, an apostolic church, we are linked to people that are in the marketplace. And not just in the marketplace, but an apostolic people in the marketplace. This is big for our church. I think it's big for every church, but this is big for us because probably 90% of this room, 95% of this room, you guys all work full-time jobs, right? How many of you guys work a job? All right. So this is for you. Do you know you're not just a call to be apostolic in the church? You're called to be apostolic at your job? Do you realize that the same anointing you feel here, you can create at your workplace? And it doesn't have to look like playing a song. Like it doesn't need to be this order. It doesn't need to be this structure. This is not the only way the presence shows up in a building. In fact, just because you're there, he's there. And if you would just become aware of that, it would change not just your day, it would change the culture. As an apostolic church, we have a mission to activate an apostolic people and groups in the marketplace. And it's actually one of the keys to the Great Commission is that the apostolic people are functioning in the marketplace because the world is not in here. So if we're gonna see the apostolic church enter into the Great Commission, it's going to be in the marketplace. It's going to be in the street. It's going to be in the spheres of the world. This is like apostle, uh, the Apostle Paul. He partnered with some, uh, a couple named Priscilla and Aquila. I don't know if you remember this, but he was with them. Revival broke out in the meeting that they were in. Excuse me. He ended up staying about three years with them because the Lord showed up and he ends up discipling them. And they, they were tent makers. They were apostolic people. They, weren't, they were not apostles over the church. They ended up being apostles in the marketplace. They, were, they built things with their hands. And so he stays with them for three years because they needed to, and, and again, where, where were they? They were in Asia Minor, which at that time was the known world. So they're not just like in this small little town. They are leaders in massive culture. And in their ministry, in the marketplace, revival breaks out and they start ministering to people and discipling people who were not in the church, but they were in the work field of their day. They were in the city of their day. They were in the skyscrapers of their day establishing the kingdom of God in culture. And they did it in connection with, with the church, with Paul. And one of the roles for an apostolic people in the marketplace is not just to establish, you know, righteousness and, and peace and justice, though we do that, but it's the marketplace. And you're gonna show the power of God. And one of the ways, is, which we see right way back in Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy is that marketplace people Produce wealth and manage wealth. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 8, verse 18. You guys good? It says, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, 
that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is to this day. Now, that word power, there's a lot of different words for power in the Greek. But this, you, know, you guys probably know dunamis, right? That's a popular one. More Lord. But this word here is, and I don't know how to pronounce it, but we're going to do our best. It's K-O-A-H. It's koach. It's a Greek word, koach. And the root of this word for power is the same word that's used for the word reptile. Stay with me. And a lot of theologians actually believe it was referring to a chameleon. Because it was referring to a small reptile. And then the way that this word is used throughout scripture, they believe it was referring, I mean, in scriptures used for reptile. And so thinking about a chameleon, a chameleon changes color based on its environment. When you're functioning in the apostolic in the marketplace, no matter the economic environment, you can still prosper. Because you can adjust your color depending on the environment that you're in. Now, it's the same word, like we said, the power to produce wealth. It's also the same word for the power for weeping. It's also the same word for strength of angels. It's also the same word for creation. This word power has a lot going with it. And one of the things we're focusing on is, is wealth, right? And so when you're functioning in the apostolic anointing, in the marketplace, you actually have the ability not just to manage wealth, but to create it. And that could be in recession. That can be in hyperinflation. That could be in any season because the ability to produce wealth in you as an apostolic people is not rooted in you or in the culture you're in or in the nation that you're in. The ability to do it is from the kingdom of God. Yes. And it's not just, the phrase creating wealth is not just, like I said, having it. It's being able to think of new streams of revenue. It's being able to think outside of the box. It's getting new creative ideas. And not just you, because people are around you that may not even know the Lord, just the fact that they're around you and you tap into that anointing, you give them the ability to produce wealth. All of a sudden, they get new ideas. And they're like, I don't get it. They're like, I don't get it, Lincoln. When I'm in your small group, all of a sudden all these ideas are coming. But I'm over here, it's like, it's dry. You help people create wealth. You help people create businesses. And when you do that, in partnership with the church, you get raised up as marketplace leaders like Priscilla and Aquila, like these different ones. And you not, you not only help the marketplace, but in seasons of turmoil, you are then able to help the church not just survive, but thrive. And what you're doing is you're establishing the kingdom of God that bears fruit in every season. 
it creates producers and managers. Producers have an understanding of how to create revenue streams, but managers know how to invest money and get the maximum, maximum amount out of that money. And then there's apostolic church leaders who are connected with apostolic marketplace leaders who are distributors. And we know how to disperse to people as they have need. What would it look like for the apostolic to be activated in a people that in, in recession, in hyperinflation, the people of God thrive? They have the answers. They have the systems. They have new creative ideas. They have new businesses that seem to work in lockdown and not in lockdown. In inflation and not in inflation. During times of war and during times of peace. How many of you guys want that? Now, I'm, this, is, it's not, this is not just a, a, an idea. This is a reality. Okay. If you're marketplace, just stand up really quick. If you work in the marketplace. I'm assuming the rest of you are either unemployed or full-time ministry. If not, you should be standing up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Father, right now we release an apostolic anointing over this company right now. Lord, even for those who do not understand how this would even work, or maybe this feels like it's going right over their head, Lord, I just release grace for understanding. We speak to the work of your hands right now, and we say you will be blessed. Lord, we thank you for divine thinking, the mind of Christ. We thank you for divine ideas. Lord, and I thank you that they will continue to be connected to an apostolic house and an apostolic people, that they would enter into this reality of being apostolic, of understanding heaven to earth. That these ideas, they're not just coming from them, they're coming from heaven. Your ideas are not just going to come from you, they're going to come from heaven. They're going to come in dreams. They're going to come in visions. You're going to see random billboards as you're traveling. You're going to see random signs on the street. You're going to begin to hear things in the spirit. You're going to begin to hear things in the natural and it's going to spark something and it's going to create new business ideas. For you, for those who are not necessarily in the management or in whatever, you're just working for someone else's, you're going to find favor with your boss. You're going to find favor with your supervisors. You're going to find favor with your peers. You're going to seem to just be able to do things well, do things right, and to excel. For those of you who just started a job, there's going to be a fast pass where you're just going to accelerate and have understanding of how to do things and how to do things well. And it's going, the key of this is going to be inviting heaven into the process. And so Lord, we open up our minds and hearts to invite heaven into the process. Lord, we thank you that favor is not just because we are, are, we are cute or we're good looking or we're funny or we're great to be around. It's not just about our temperament, but it's about the spirit that we carry. So Lord, I speak to the spirit that's on the inside of them and I say, bubble up, bubble up in their workplace, bubble up in their planning, bubble up as they do their nine to five or whatever the hours are. But Lord, we invite you to interrupt and to have your way. In Jesus' name. Go ahead, sit. All right. We're not gonna be able to finish this, but I'm gonna do the last point for today. I know, I know what time it is. The last point we'll do today, as an apostolic people, 
we are called to bring the culture of the kingdom of heaven to our world. Matthew 4, 17. If you guys put it up on the screen, it'll be faster than me turning there. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that simply means it's within reach. And if it's within reach, then it's available to you. And the only reason you don't have access to it is not because you're not qualified to access to it. It's because you haven't reached out to grab a hold of it. Okay? The kingdom of heaven. Do you know who said that? Jesus. Just saying. Do you know what else that means? You don't have to wait to die to experience heaven. You can experience today. And not just experience it, you get to bring heaven's reality and heaven's culture into your day. Okay? It's the heaven to earth. Uh, Romans 14, 17. Go ahead and put that on the screen. This is about the kingdom of God. I'm going to see how fast you are, Diego. Come right. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So then what does that mean? You can experience peace now. You don't just have to experience it when you go to heaven. And how many understand peace is not just the, the absence of noise. Peace is a person. His name is Jesus. His name is the Prince of Peace. And you get to invite him into your life. And when he walks in, then the prince of the power of the air has to flee. Which is Satan. He's the prince of the power of the air. We don't have time to go into that, but he is. The Bible says it. But when the prince of peace comes in, he has to flee. You can experience righteousness now. You can live right. How? It's the Ephesians 1 reality that we were talking about. Put up Ephesians 2, 6. It's, it's this reality that because we are in Christ, we can live right today. That it's not like, oh, well, one day I'll have a new glorified body and I won't stumble. No, he is the God who is able to keep you from stumbling. These are not just verses. They are permissions to live different. And he's raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. You are sitting in the Revelation 4 and 5 sea of glass where Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, but he's put you at his right hand. You have a seat on the throne of God. And not, you're not just going to be seated there. You are seated there. You died in him. You were resurrected with him. You were seated in heavenly places with him. How does that happen? I don't know. But the reality is God is outside of time. We think of time as linear. We don't realize that 2,000 years ago, we were actually with him. We died with him. We were raised with him. And we were seated with him. That's your reality. In the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the, the word kingdom is used 120 times, just in the four Gospels. And it refers to the gospel of kingdom, not the gospel of salvation, which is important because the whole thing is not just to get people saved. It's to get people to enter into the fullness of Christ, which is not just salvation. It's the starting point. Now, it does mention the gospel of peace, but we just saw how peace is a manifestation of the kingdom. So then the question is, well, then how do you enter into the kingdom of heaven today? The kingdom is two words, king and dominion. When you allow King Jesus to rule your heart, you've entered into his domain. And so it's not this thing like, well, where's the kingdom? 
how do I find this domain? Do I step here? Do I stand here? Do I stand up? Like, do I, do I read this verse? Do I pray this prayer? Do I go to this place? How many times at church should I go? How can I enter into his domain? It's very simple. If he is ruler over your life, then you are already in his domain. We, we don't see it with our natural eye, but with our spiritual eye, we know we're there. Not because we've done anything to get there, but because he's done everything to get us there. And if we've entered into his domain, then we're in his kingdom. And we're called in Matthew 28 to preach the good news of the kingdom to all nations. Again, nations is the word ethnos, people or people groups. And one of the original commandments that God gave to man was in the garden. And God told Adam and Eve that he gave them dominion to rule with him. Put uh, Genesis 1.28 up there. He gave them dominion to rule with him and to subdue the enemy. It says that God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Amen. Fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every, li every living thing that moves on the earth. We were the original prince and princess of the rulers of the power of the air. So then how did Satan get it? Well, that was when sin entered. And we gave the keys that Jesus just gave us there in Genesis 1.28, and we handed it to the enemy. And then... God knew that he needed a, a plan of redemption. And so he restores and keeps safe the lineage of Abraham all the way to Jesus. And all the enemy kept trying to do, the enemy wasn't trying to do anything to Israel except kill the bloodline because he understood what Jesus was gonna do. He was gonna come to take the keys back. And Jesus at the cross, we see he, he, he dies. In Revelation, it tells us that he won back the keys to Hades and the grave and death. And then what does he do? He comes back in his resurrected body and he comes before the disciples and he says, now I've given you all authority. The keys in Revelation is talking about, it represents authority. In that moment, he handed humanity back the key. Restoring the Genesis 1.28, subdue and fill the earth. We know the scripture says, and the glory of the Lord will fill the earth as the water covers the seas. How does that happen? It happens when you and I recognize that we actually hold the key and wherever we go, we fill the earth with his glory. Amen. We establish culture by understanding who we are and what we're called to do. It's not just something that happens by mistake. We do it on purpose. And one of the distinctive characteristics and honor of ruling with Jesus is to exercise authority over darkness. And this is critical because when we realize we have this authority and when we exercise that authority, so it's not just enough to know that you have it, it's not just enough to know that he's made you holy. It's not just enough to know that he's given you gifts. You have to exercise on that. That's the partnering with the Lord. That's the moving with God. And when we exercise upon our authority, that is when demons have to bow. That is when darkness flees. That is when you 
establish and you subdue the kingdom of darkness and you establish the kingdom of light. When the apostolic church understands this, then the prayer that Jesus taught them becomes even more effective at bringing God's kingdom culture to the earth. It's the last verse, Matthew 6, verse 9 to 13. And you guys can stand with me. We're going to go all the way to 13. It says, In this manner, therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now understand this from, from this reality, from what he's called us to do, to establish the kingdom of God, the culture of the kingdom of God on the earth. What does that mean? What's the practical thing? It's okay, become aware what's in heaven. There's no lost in heaven, so we're going to go save souls. There's no one demonized in heaven, so we're going to cast out demons. Amen. There's no one sick in heaven, so we're going to go heal the sick. There's no bad news in heaven, so we're going to preach the good news of the kingdom. He's inviting us to become aware of what exists already. I said it two or three weeks ago. You know, a lot of times we'll, we'll go into spiritual warfare or whatever and we'll, we'll bind and loose and do that whole verse thing. But when you read that verse in its actual language, it's bind what's already bound in heaven, bind it on the earth. Whatever's already loosed in heaven, loose it on the earth. So in order to partner with the Lord as an apostolic people, we have to become aware what's in heaven. Who's in heaven? Do you know who else is in heaven right now? You. Do you know what that means? It just means we get to play by different rules. It means you're not limited by the world's limitations. You can do hard things. You can do impossible things. You can win souls to Christ. You can cast out devils. You can heal the sick. You can live right. You can live holy. You can live free. You can live in favor. You can live in prosperity. Not, and we're not just talking money. We're talking about prosperity of body, of health, of spirit, of soul. You know, as we are going through this series, I just feel this fire from the Lord that He's going to have a bride who makes herself ready. And it's not just for him, for his coming, but it's for establishing his kingdom so that he can come. What we're doing every day, when we go out and we do our normal stuff, it's echoing for eternity. This is but just maybe 70, 80, 100 years. I don't know. But we're building something for all eternity. And I don't know about you, but when I begin to connect with that heavenly reality, there's this thing inside of me that just feels like, well, I could, I could literally do anything. 
And I could know that in one moment when I didn't have the words to say, with him, I'll, I'll have the right words to say. When I'm in conflict, I know he knows how to deal with conflict. When we're faced with a budget crisis, I know that he knows the solution. And I don't know if you've been getting this these past weeks. I'm just trying to get you to open your eyes, to open your ears, to open your heart, to hear him, to see him, to find out what he's doing, and so that we can do what he's doing. So why don't you just put your hands out before the Lord. Thank you for letting me go a little over. Lord, we are reminded of your word. We talked about it today. You said go into all the world, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, casting out demons, healing the sick. And you say, I'm with you. You give us the assignment, but you say, I'm with you. Lord, I pray for this people that they would have a greater awareness of the God who's with them. That when they step into their workplace, their schools, classrooms, household, they would find Emmanuel. They would find, oh, there is an open heaven above me. There is an open heaven all around me. Lord, I thank you for the testimonies that are going to come forth of divine intervention. Some of you guys are actually in a crisis at work. It's a financial crisis. And the Lord is going to bring divine ideas to answer that crisis. Some of you, it's, it's literally a budgetary need where you're just realizing it's a couple months into the year and you're not going to make budget by the end of the year and you're trying to figure out what to do as a company. Who is that? Who's, there's financial things going on in the workplace. I feel like it might be a couple of you, but we're going to pray for Justin, this young lady right here. Anyone else? Can we just lay hands on, on these two really quick? Father, we thank you for divine strategy. I don't know if it's their business or someone else's business, but Lord, that you would give them answers. Lord, we thank you where normally this would produce high anxiety, not just for the, the CEOs, but for everyone that goes down because of, of finances, the fear that's attached to it. Lord, I thank you that they're going to walk in power, love, and a sound mind. I thank you that they're going to have total peace even throughout the process. And Lord, we even ask that you would give them supernatural revelation on what to do and how to do it. There's some of you here, you're actually afraid that you might lose your job. Who is that? Just raise your hand. Just quickly. There's like eight or nine of you. Just lift your hand up and we're going to come around you really quick. So as they lift their hands up, just come around them. Young man in the back. 
Lord, I thank you for favor in the workplace right now. Lord, whatever it is, you know what it is. If it's a performance issue or whatever, Lord, we ask for divine intervention. Divine intervention over them. Divine intervention over them. That you would give them favor and that you would give them peace. Whether it's a new job, a better job, a better position, confidence in their position, Lord, whatever needs to shift, shift it, Lord. In Jesus' name. Yeah, go ahead. You can keep praying for them. Other of you guys, you just recently started a new job and you're feeling like you're not qualified or it just feels too much. Who is that? Just quickly raise your hand again. You just started a new job and you're just like, I don't know what I'm doing. I need help. Yeah, just come, come around them. Come around them quickly. This young lady right here as well. Lord, we thank you for, for confidence coming over them. Lord, I thank you that there would be a spirit of acceleration that would come upon them. That they would grasp new ideas. They would grasp the new concepts. That they would grasp whatever uh, systems, computer systems. I feel like some of you are literally dealing with computer systems. This is for you. Lord, I thank you for understanding of how systems work over him right now. Complete understanding for the computer system. For the new technology that I feel like you've had to come into new technology and it may not even be what you wanted to do. But the Lord's going to bring divine understanding. Even that testimony. I don't know if you were here with Chris Valentin, but that testimony where the Lord actually taught him how to write code. Lord, that he would, Lord, that, Lord, that you would teach him what to do. That he would understand the front end, that he would understand the back end. That he would understand the customer side, that he would understand the employee side. Divine intervention and supernatural wisdom. If you need to go, I know it's 120, we bless you to go. Some of you need to go get your kids to, to um, help the children's worker, but we bless you to go. We're just going to keep ministering in this way. Um, so if you're leaving, we bless you. Thank you for coming. Have an amazing day. I don't want you to feel like you have to stay. But we love you. You can stay. All right. There's others you feel like you're too young to be in the position that you're in. Who is that? You just feel like your age, your age makes you feel like you're, you're disqualified. So just let's surround Dean. And there's this young lady right back here. Father, if someone could stand with my sister in the back as well their hand raised. Thank you. This, thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for confidence. I speak what Paul spoke over Timothy. Do not despise your youth, but live your life in such a way that they will look at you and say, this one is awesome. Lord, I thank you that any obstacle of age will be completely demolished in Jesus' name. Lord, even those that may be looking down on them for their age, I ask that you would shift their heart, that they would see the maturity and the wisdom that has come. And Lord, that, that people would say, wow, the wisdom beyond your years, the wisdom beyond your years be released over them in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. All right, and there's others you just recently, in the last year or two, started a new business. And you're, you're, it's your business. Who is that? Just raise your hand. You started a new business in the last year, the last two years. Can we surround these business owners? Lay hands on Joe. We say your business will thrive. Your business will thrive. Well, Lord, we thank you for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of a thriving business. 
We thank you for growth. We thank you for the right help and the right people and the right situations. God, we ask you for the divine relationships that would come alongside of them. That you'd remove all fear and all anxiety. That Lord, that you would bring almost like an ease over their business. Over the work of their hands. Yeah, go ahead, just pray for them. And Lord, for all of us today, we receive of this grace, this apostolic grace, God. We receive, we receive it. We understand that this is a gift. It's not something we can earn, but it's something you give us. So God, we pull on the grace of the apostolic in this house. We pull on the grace of the apostolic anointing in this house. God, would you anoint us as an apostolic people? Would you anoint us as an apostolic house and you'd give us understanding into heaven's ways, heaven's strategies, the culture of the kingdom of God, in the marketplace, in the church, God, in our families, God. We pull on that grace today. And God, we ask for an impartation of the gift of the apostolic. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at Life Center Church NYC.